0: i Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I was happy to pull off the shelf a really good book. We've done this in our apologetics class at our church in the past and had a lot of interest in it. It's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Geisler and Turek. And it's a real who's who list of people on the back cover that support this book and praise it. David Limbaugh, Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, Phil Johnson, Hank Hanegraaff, Cal Thomas, William Dembski, and uh, on and on. So this book is uh, something that a lot of people know about, and it's probably the one indispensable book that you ought to have on your shelf. And it's been around long enough that uh, you could probably find a used copy someplace. But a great big-picture apologetics book. It's, uh, It's thick. I mean, it's not the easiest book in the world to get through, but it's written... That uh, We can all understand it. starts with, can we believe there's truth? Because why talk to somebody if they don't think there's a possibility of even truth being known? So it starts with truth, and then reasons for the existence of God, and then uh, morality, the argument for morality. Can we believe in miracles? And then it moves to Jesus in the New Testament. And so I wanted to look especially at the New Testament. There's one chapter, it's called, Do We Have Early Testimony About Jesus? Because that's crucial, isn't it? If the information about Jesus comes hundreds of years later, who knows? Who really knows? If there's a huge distance in time between the, the life of Jesus and somebody writing about him, we would obviously uh, be a little bit concerned. But is there early testimony? Yes, there is. Let's take uh, Flavius Josephus. That's the first person they talked to. He wrote a book called Antiquities of the Jews. And he talks about Jesus in two different places. Now, this is a Jew, so he's not necessarily a believer in Jesus. I don't think he was at all. Uh, He mentions there's a new high priest, he says, and it uh, took advantage of a gap in Roman rule to kill James. And he says, the brother of Jesus, whose name was James. And that's all he says. In other words, he expects his readers to go, oh yeah, Jesus. And so he just kind of offhandedly mentions uh, Jesus. So there's Josephus. Uh, He lived, by the way, we want to talk about this early testimony. So he lived up to about 100 AD. So the guess is, best guess is somewhere around 93 AD. He wrote this Antiquities of the Jews with a couple of references about Jesus. How many non-Christian sources do we have that mention Jesus? Well, it says within 150 years of his life, they estimate there are 10 known non-Christian writers who mention Jesus. It says, kind of interesting to make a comparison, there are nine non-Christian sources who mentioned Tiberius Caesar. That was the Roman emperor, and so actually Jesus is mentioned by one more source than the Roman emperor. Pretty amazing. And it says some of these non-Christian sources are actually not just non-Christian, they're anti-Christian. Celsus, Tacitus, the Jewish Talmud. And so they oppose him. And if they do, that's all the more convincing that he must have really been around. And it says you actually learn from these sources quite a bit about the early uh, stories of Jesus that that help us put together a a storyline that's really close to the New Testament itself. And they make a list here of the things that these all suggest about the life of Jesus. He lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar, lived a virtuous life. He was a wonder worker, had a brother named James. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. Notice they're not saying he was because they don't necessarily buy into that. He was crucified under Pilate, crucified on the eve of the Passover. There was darkness and an earthquake when he died. His disciples believed he rose from the dead. Notice again... They're not saying that he really did appear to them, but they said the disciples believed he rose from the dead. Uh, His disciples were willing to die for that belief. Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. His disciples denied the Roman gods and worshiped Jesus as God. So the idea that Jesus never existed doesn't really make sense when you've got non-Christian writers and they're they're telling the same story as the New Testament. Okay, so that's a little bit uh, early. I'd say very early, uh, testimony to the fact of Jesus. Then they deal with this huge question, do we have an accurate copy? I mean, there's no, no sense reading about Jesus if we're not sure of the accuracy of what's in there. And it says, don't think of this like the telephone game. Remember that game where One child, a bunch of kids are sitting in a circle. One kid whispers in the ear of another kid some statement, and that gets passed around one by one by one by one. By the time it gets around the end of the chain of those kids, it doesn't even resemble what the first kid was told. Everybody laughs and has a good time. And people say, well, isn't that kind of what happened for thousands of years to transmit the stories of Jesus? That's not the way it was. It's not a case of one person who told it to another who told it to another. Actually, numerous people witnessed these New Testament events. They committed it to memory, and then nine of them put their observations in writing. So here's the question. How well do the New Testament documents fare when it comes to accuracy? Well, they say extremely well and better than anything else from the ancient world. The New Testament has more manuscripts. The manuscripts are earlier, and they're more abundantly supported than any other classical literature. In fact, in, it says if you took the ten best pieces of classical literature, combine them, and you still have more from the New Testament. So let's start with the first thing. More manuscripts? Sure. Something like close to six thousand handwritten Greek manuscripts. Then there are all sorts of manuscripts in other languages. Some of them are says there are nearly fifteen thousand of them are complete Bibles, other are just parts. And so way ahead of anything else. So there are thousands and thousands. And I think the latest I've heard is that the Iliad by Homer has something like a thousand manuscripts. So you're talking tens of thousands against one thousand. So, again, the New Testament wins as far as more manuscripts. And the more manuscripts, the easier it is to check for any problems, any uh, bad copying. Second thing. Do we have an accurate copy? Well, you want to have a lot of manuscripts. You want to have early manuscripts. You better have early ones. And they said right now, the undisputed champ, as far as the earliest, is a segment of John, the book of John. <clears throat> it's known as the John Rylands Fragment. It's housed in a library named the John Rylands Library in England. And it says scholars date it between around 117 to 138 A.D., but some people say it's even earlier, and it was found in Egypt when it was probably composed, John's uh, Gospel composed in Asia Minor, so it had moved that far. So we're talking about, probably had to be a first century work. And, And keep in mind, this is the latest of the New Testament documents. Everybody assumes Mark first, and then Matthew and Luke, and then finally John. So we're back in the first century, way too early to have myth begin to develop. Then they mentioned something that I had not heard of, and I'd like to follow up on it sometime. They said there are nine disputed fragments that are dated between A.D. 50 and 70 that were found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, I didn't know that. Uh, They they said uh, some scholars think these are part of New Testament books, Mark, Acts, Romans, 1 Timothy, 2 Peter, and James. And it says if some other scholars resist the conclusion. But who knows? Isn't that something? And it, it was um, material in that cave from 50 B.C. to 50 A.D. So the latest it was was 50 A.D. It says the New York Times recognizes that it, if it's true, it would prove at least one of the Gospels, Mark, was written only a few years after the death of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But the point is, the gap between the original and this first surviving copy, keep in mind we don't have the originals, but the gap between the original and these first surviving copies is so much shorter than anything else from the ancient world. Take the Iliad again. We, we have a copy. We don't have the original of the Iliad, but we have a copy, but the first copy is 500 years after the Iliad. And they said most other ancient works are like 1,000 years from the original. The New Testament gap is 25 years or so, maybe even less. So pretty amazing. There are more abundantly supported manuscripts as well. What do we mean by that? Well, the early church fathers, you think about the people in the second and third century like Justin Martyr, uh, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Tertullian and others, they quoted the New Testament. They quoted, they would uh, you know have a sermon, for example, and say, well, as it says in Mark, or as it says in John, or as it says in Hebrews, or whatever, the claim is that all but 11 verses of the entire New Testament could be reconstructed just from their quotations. Isn't that amazing? So we've got not only thousands of manuscripts, but thousands of quotations from the manuscripts. So it makes the ability to reconstruct the original text virtually certain. Okay, and then they talk about, well... Aren't there errors? This is what Bart Ehrman has made such a big deal about. Uh, Oh, by the way, before I get to that, I like this one little uh, part that they have here. I think this is important. It said, skeptics may say, well, if the New Testament really is the word of God, why didn't God preserve the original? We don't have any of the originals. And they admit this is just speculation, but they said it's possible that it's better protected having copies than to have the original. Why? Why? Well, if there was an original somewhere, somebody could change it. But the copies are all over the ancient world. Nobody could go around and go to those 5,000 or 10,000 copies and make all the identical changes. Can't happen. So actually, not having the originals might preserve God's Word better than having them. Well, how well are they accurately translated and passed along and reconstructed. Well, I said, some have estimated, and again, I think of Bart Ehrman, that there are 200 or 300 or 400,000 errors. Well, they're not errors. They're called variants. That means just differences. So if you looked at one manuscript and you compared it to another, you might see one word different, or you might see a, a sentence. That'd be kind of un- unnerving, wouldn't it? Well, the vast majority, as they point out, are strictly grammatical. They're things like punctuation and spelling. Now, remember, they're also spread over these almost 6,000 manuscripts, so that if you make a spelling variant of one letter, of one word, in one verse, and you see that in 2,000 manuscripts, that's counted as 2,000 errors. Well, they've talked to, i maybe read textual scholars that estimate only one in 60 of these variants has any kind of significance, so that makes the text about 98% pure. And it says, out of Some of these variants they've looked at, only 50 were of real significance and not even one changed an article of faith. In other words, they've never found any variant that said, you know what? Jesus was going to be put on the cross, but he never went up there and he escaped. They don't have anything that says that. They don't have anything that says Jesus was crucified and never rose again. There's nothing like that. Nothing challenges In looking at all these, uh, quote-unquote, errors or variants, nothing challenges the theological meaning. Uh, The article of faith is not changed at all. Um, Okay, so let's, let's continue here. A lot to cover. Well, is the New Testament historically reliable? That's a big question. And what they're going to do, and I can't cover this all because it goes into another chapter. They said... There are ways that you can test the New Testament. There are criteria that historians use to determine whether or not you ought to believe a historical document. They're called historical tests. Tests. So here they are. There's seven of them, but we're just gonna do one of them. One is, do we have early testimony? Because the earlier the source, the better. Number two, do we have eyewitness testimony? That's a great way to figure out what really happened. Number three. Do we have testimony from multiple independent eyewitness sources? Number four, are these eyewitnesses, if we have the eyewitnesses, are they trustworthy? Number five, do we have corroborating evidence from archaeology or other writers? That'd be good to have, wouldn't it? Number six, any enemy attestation. What if an opponent of the eyewitness admitted certain facts were true? Then you're probably going to buy into those facts. Number seven, Does the testimony have any event or any detail that would be embarrassing to the authors? And so what I'd like to do is, uh, this chapter only covers the first one here about early testimony. And uh, we've already talked about that a little bit. So I think I will uh, skip over that. Uh, So are the documents early? Yes. They've already talked about that. Maybe all of them done within 70 years after the death of Jesus. And then they have a list in here, a little chart and of course I can't do anything about that, just talking about it, but they have New Testament documents cited by, and then they mention three different authors here, Clement, Ignatius, Polycarp, and the time period that they wrote and which books of the New Testament they referred to. And these are early, early people. One is 95 AD, another is 107, another is 110. And they're all over the place, and they're, they're quoting and they're citing These New Testament documents. So the point is, most, if not all, of the books were written even before 70 AD. That's within 40 years after the death of Jesus. So uh, there's no reason not to doubt the uh, early testimony. They even claim probably some before 62 AD. And uh, I won't go into the reasons for that right now. And well, maybe we need... I brought it up. I guess we should spend just a second on If you look at the book of Acts, it ends with Peter and Paul still alive. Well, we know they died in about 66 AD. Well, if you're going to write the book of Acts and you knew they died, you already spent some time on the death of Stephen. You would cover the death of Peter or Paul, but the author hadn't encountered that yet. So you can probably move... Acts earlier than 66 AD. Now, Acts is the second book written by, fill in the blank, Luke. So you've got Luke who has, and everybody says Luke was written earlier than Acts. So now you can push Luke back further, maybe late 50s AD. And Luke is not the first gospel written. That's probably Mark. Most people would say Mark is earlier than Luke. So now you can push that back into the early 50s AD. So that's how they do that kind of work as far as moving things back. So they, they suggest the same thing, that Luke was probably written around 60, Mark, maybe the mid to late 50s. Now Paul, which is really amazing, Paul wrote his letters earlier than the Gospels, and inside those are creeds. Oh man, that's fascinating. He puts creeds. These are things that he learned and he passed along. Uh, take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. He says, Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, etc., etc., he appeared to 500 people. He didn't invent this. He's using rabbinic terminology that says, this is something I was given and I'm passing it along to you. So these are very early dates. And probably those kinds of creeds were done within the first couple of years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, that may give you at least a taste, and there are other chapters that that cover more material, but this gives you an idea of how rich and deep this book is. So I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I think everybody needs to have this book on your shelf someplace. All right, well, thanks for uh, listening, and let's do another podcast soon.